Good morning, Exchange Church. One more time. Good morning, Exchange Church. Glad that you are awake. Glad that you're here. You're looking great today. We are in a series. This is actually the final installation of the series, How to Be a Perfect Christian. And if you are a first-time guest here today, let me just say we had, well, first of all, first service, we had several first-time families, and it was super exciting uh, to get to know them. But if you're a first-time guest here today, we do not believe in the concept of a perfect Christian nor the concept of a perfect church. This, this series is built around satire, which means the, the premise initially is a joke, but then we move into truth. Okay, so don't tweet anything I say uh, until at least 15 minutes in of the sermon. Okay, I don't want to be labeled a, a heretic yet. Uh, so the big idea of the series today is perfect Christians must attend a perfect church. Look at your neighbor and wink and say, that's a joke. Perfect Christians must attend a perfect church. It's a joke because, of course, there are no perfect Christians and there are certainly no perfect churches. Why are there no perfect churches? Because you're here and I'm here and we are imperfect people. The truth that I want to address with you today is the church should be a place of sacrifice, devotion, unity, and growth. That's what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as we read the word of the Lord today. I know you're getting in your exercise for the day. I love to stand when we're reading God's word just to show honor to it and set a level of expectation in our hearts. I want to take you to Acts chapter 2. And if you were here last week, you know at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, there is this phenomenon known as the upper room experience. The disciples were in the upper room. And we know that in an instant, the Holy Spirit comes on scene and they stumble out into the streets and they are speaking in tongues. And the people in the crowd says, what's wrong with them? I think they've been drinking too much wine. And they said, oh, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk, as you may suppose. This is the Holy Spirit. I hope you went home this week and read chapter two just to get some context. But at the end of chapter two, God does something brilliant, and after a mighty move of his power, he now begins to set a foundation, a, a, a cycle of stability in what is this thing, the church, going to look like. So we're talking about the local church. The local church is that, that house of worship that you call home. For many of you today, the exchange church is your local church. It's where you show up week in and week out and you participate and you be a part of this church. For, for, for some of you, you're visiting from out of town and you have another church home. That's your local church. But I believe that God loves the local church, whether it's this one or the one just across the street or down around the corner, God came to build the local and the global church. Can I get a good amen? Acts chapter two, verse 42. We look at the scenario of what it means to be the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for every person that is in this room and every person right now that is watching online, that your Holy Spirit is present. God, we ask that you will do what only you can do in our heart and in our life, in our perspective, in the lens from which we live and breathe. God, I thank you that over the next 25, 27 minutes, God, that you are going to solidify this thing called the local church into our heart. God, we're going to grasp the concept and understand exactly your heart for our participation in this thing we call church. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen. Now, before you're seated, I see several new guests here in this service, so I need you to make your rounds 30, 45 seconds, high five, hug somebody, pinch them, do something. Then you may be seated. So if you were here last week, you uh, recall that I had, I think, six points, and I got through point number one out of six. So I, I uh, am going to speed it up a bit today. So I need you to, to put your car in gear. Let's go. Let's get up to fifth gear today, okay? Get your pen and your paper out and be ready. And um, the point that I made last week was that if we really want to build a church like they built in Acts chapter 2, then we know that we need to be dedicated or devoted to the teaching. How many of you were here last week? Very good. We need to be devoted to the teaching. If you weren't here, last week was a phenomenal sermon, and I really believe that God was breathing unity over our church last week, and so I would suggest that you go back and that you listen to that. I'm not going to hit those, those highlights today because I do have five other points that I want to share with you. But if we look back at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it started with, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I want you to read the next three words with me. Ready? Go. And to fellowship. Let's try it again. I'm going to start the beginning of the sentence, and when I get to those final three words, Words, I want you to say it as loud as you can with me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Very good. And to fellowship. What does that mean? What does fellowship mean? I know that oftentimes we just think the word fellowship means like a potluck meal. Hey, everybody bring your best cooking and let's just fellowship. Let's have a good old time and fellowship. How many of you have used the word fellowship and you don't really even know? Yeah, me too. Me too. The luxury that you and I have today reading scripture, though, is that we get to go back to the original text, meaning the original text didn't say they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It said something in Greek. Greek is a language that the New Testament is written in. Hebrew is the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Greek, oftentimes one word in Greek it can mean so much more than that one word that we're reading in English. 
So the word fellowship in English, we just, we use it casually, not really sure the depth or the width or the height of that word. But if we go back to the Greek, then we can fully comprehend what the the scripture is trying to say, like the canvas that God is trying to paint, the portrait that he is trying to get us to perceive when he says the word fellowship. And so I want to take you to that Greek word. We're going to put it on the screen for you so you can write it down. You can look it up if you want. The Greek word is koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Koinonia is G2844, and it means this. We're going to walk through this today. It means partnership, literal participation, or social intercourse, or pecuniary benefaction. What does all that mean? That's a lot more confusing than the word fellowship. I get it. So we're going we're gonna to walk through that for you today because our point that I want you to grasp is we must be devoted to fellowship. If we want to be like the church in Acts chapter 2, you and I have to be devoted to fellowship. And what is devoted? In the Greek, that means loyalty. It, it means you are so loyal to these concepts that we're talking about that Nothing can pull you away from it. Loyalty is not a fair weather friend. Loyalty is through thick and thin, I'm going to pursue these things that God is telling me to do. So you want to be part of the local church and what God is doing, and and you want to honor what he did in Acts chapter 2, and you want to go ahead and speak into and prophesy into what he's going to do in the local church 30 years from now. We need to hold to these things and be devoted to fellowship. So what is the Greek fellowship mean? Well, partnership, anyone know what partnership means? If you look that up, dictionary.com, we have this thing called the internet these days. If you look up partnership, it means this, partnership. Being a partner, like you're coming alongside, you're, you're being a partner. A couple other words that we may not know in the, the Greek definition that we're going to leave up on the screen for you. Um, intercourse. In this context of social intercourse, it may not be the intercourse that many of you are thinking about. The intercourse it is referring to is communication between individuals or groups, an interchange of thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, expectations. Sounds an awful lot like the word vulnerability, doesn't it? Vulnerability? How many of you really cringe when you hear the word vulnerability. Why? Wait, one more time. Why is it mostly dudes? Some, some ladies in the house as well. Vulnerability is a scary word for many of us, but if we want to have fellowship, we have to lean into this thing called vulnerability. Um, the next word you may not be familiar with, pecuniary, just basically means relating to money. So instead of the fancy pecuniary word, they could have said financial. Financial benefaction. Benefaction seems like uh, it's in a novel of Charles Dickinson or something. Like we don't use that anymore. But benefaction is doing a good deed. So financial contribution towards good deeds. So when the Bible says fellowship, it's really talking about three very distinct and critical things that you and I must activate in our life and guard in our surroundings if you and I want koinonia, if you and I want 
true biblical fellowship, there are three things that you and I must be completely loyal to. And, and I just described them to you, but to make it more simple, I've put them into three points that you can write down today. Number one, if we want koinonia, we must serve willingly. Serve willingly. Put the, we'll put the definition back up. You see that word partnership? Everybody say partnership. That means, like, if you're a partner, that means you, like, do something, right? I mean, honestly, my wife, she's a wonderful cook. But if I'm sitting on the couch and she makes a great meal, I don't tell the kids, we made the meal, right? I say, my wife made the meal because I was not a partner in the kitchen, right? So I don't want us to confuse ourselves in this whole notion of fellowship and koinonia and, and partnership. Like it actually requires you and I to do something. And there are many examples of that. For, for example, as a church, um, as a church, we love to go and help the homeless. We do that every year. We take them gloves, hoodies. So we've done, one year we've done sleeping bags. We've done so many things. As a, as a church, we... Um, have taken canned goods to Round Rock Serving Center so that people that are hungry can get resources and get their needs met. We've, we've done that. As a church, we've gone to Haiti. The orphanage there, we bought beds for tons of kids who had not a bed to sleep on. And we even sent a team to Haiti. I went once. I'm not the world traveler that my wife is, but I usually send her, and I partner with her in prayer. And But the one year that I did go to Haiti... We were there and, and people were pulling rocks out of the garden because they were trying to create crops for them to be self-sustainable and self-supporting. And it was hot and there was no access to water. And it was dusty and you felt the dust covering your esophagus and your tongue and your lungs and it was hard to breathe. And you did a lot of coughing to hack that stuff up. And when they got there, the kids were thirsty and the well was not up and running and they actually sent someone into town. You, you wouldn't imagine the, the amount of work it takes in Haiti just to get something done. They, they went into town to get them bags of water for the kids to suck on and, and drink the water. And the, the kids got the bags of water. And you would think it was like cotton candy and snow cones. We have an opportunity to partner. Now, true, maybe you weren't able to go to Haiti. Maybe you did have to partner in prayer. Maybe you did have to partner in finances, but there, there are things that we as a church, when we say, hey, we're doing this as a church, we need your partnership. And, and, and get this, if it's in the central Texas area, like we need more than just your prayers and your money. We actually need your time, the most valuable commodity that you can give. We need your presence because your smile matters. Your encouragement matters. I'll give you an opportunity tonight at 4.30. Lake Pflugerville, we have baptisms. 430. You, you can actually partner with us by showing up there because baptisms is not just an inward thing. Do you know that? It's not about, you know who's getting baptized tonight? Hopefully you. But if not you, there are a couple people signed up. One for sure is Emily Ginn. The Ginn family. Vance is moving, Vance and Emily and their family, they're moving. This is their uh, last week here. They're moving, leaving on Friday, she wanted to get baptized here at the Exchange Church before they leave, so they're actually out of town right now. They're coming back in for baptisms at 4.30.
She's getting baptized. But guess what? It's not just about Emily Gen either. There are going to be people all along the shore of Lake Pflugerville. And so this is our opportunity to make our presence known so that we make his name known. Oh, and, and one minor detail. Come early because it's Memorial Day weekend and it's going to be packed. But when you show up at Lake Pflugerville at 4.30 and you go early, don't just bring a water bottle for yourself. Bring a case of cold water so that you can hand them out to people that are thirsty at the lake, people that need Jesus to be shown to. Are you, are you with me? Like, this is what partnership looks like. And I know you're going to be there at 4.30 for baptisms, Lake Pflugerville, Memorial Day weekend with extra water. Why? Because this is your home church and you want to prove that you're a partner. You guys get their sarcasm in that, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to control you. I mean, obviously you're going to be there. So... <laughs> Partnership, serve willingly. Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Okay, so serving willingly, I can do that. Fine. We, we can do that. That We can do that part to be part of Quinnia, this thing we call fellowship. What's the next thing? Pastor, what's the next thing that we have to do? Number two is healthy communication. If you want to create a healthy koinonia fellowship, we have to be devoted to, loyal to, healthy communication. Well, what does healthy communication look like? Well, it looks healthy. And if you don't really know how to describe healthy communication, can you see dysfunctional communication when you see it? Do you know what I mean? You ever been in a relationship or an exchange of communication and you're not sure what someone did wrong, but like when they did it wrong, you knew it. Are you with me? You couldn't put your finger on it, but you know you walked away not feeling right. We have to be devoted to healthy communication. I mean, the Bible is, is filled with examples of what healthy communication looks like. I, I wrote a few examples down that I'll read to you. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Isn't that crazy? That the Bible is actually encouraging you and I to guard every word that comes out of our mouth and make sure that it's leaving our mouth not to fight for our needs, but to be a benefit for their needs and to build them up. You, you want to talk about changing your marriage overnight? Create a lens on every word that you speak. If it's about you, keep it to yourself and take it to God. If it's about the other person and you want to build them up and it's all about their hopes and dreams and what you see inside of them, say it freely. You know, you know the problem that we often have in relationships is we say the things we shouldn't say and we fail to say the things that we often think. I can't tell you how many times I look at my wife and I think, man, she looks gorgeous today. And I fail to say it. I can't tell you how many times I look at my kids and I think, you know, they're all right. And I fail to say it. When you think something good, say something good. And when you think something bad, understand there's something wrong with your thinking. 
because we already know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. We already know Philippians 4, 8, that tells us what we need to think on. We need to think on the things that are of good report, the things that are right, the things that are edifying, the things that are building up. We know from this text that nothing should leave our mouth that is not going to build up someone else. Some of us just talk too much. We, we love to hear our, ourselves talk. Some of you are like, Pastor, you go over every Sunday in your sermon. You know what we need to fall in love with more than our own perspective and our words? We need to fall in love more with the potential effect that they have. I, I love the Exchange Church. The, the Exchange Church is a place where purpose is awakened and developed. And if this is your first time here today, let me just give you one guarantee. One guarantee is that gossip is not tolerated here. It's not. Does that mean you won't hear gossip? No, I'm not that naive. But I'm saying people that are in the quinonia, the fellowship, people that are really with us just don't tolerate it. People that are really with us don't get the phone calls of gossip because people on the fringes that want, want the latest news and want the gossip, they just won't call you. There, there's a reason. If you're always getting the call about gossip, there's a reason for that. We have this thing called three-day rule at the Exchange Church. I'll just go over it one more time because I love to talk about it. If I get offended with you or you get offended with me, we, there's offense and by the way, you're going to get your feelings hurt by someone in this room at some point or another. It's called being a family. You ever had your feelings hurt by someone in your family? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's called family, right? But we don't stop being family because we got our feelings hurt. Like that's just not an option. If that were an option, I'd be living alone already. You don't, we don't have that option when we're family. And so if I get offended, the three-day rule says this, I've got three days to, to let it simmer, stir the pot a little bit in my own mind, spend prayer, whatever I need to do so that I can approach someone that I'm offended with. And then I have a face-to-face -face civil conversation with the goal of reconciliation and restoration. Which, by the way, this is for free. This is not in my notes, but write this down. Do you know what reconciliation is? You know what? in the old days when you had a checkbook and you would get your bank statement and you would look at what you, the checks that you wrote and your ledger and what the bank says, you reconcile your account. You make sure that they're both saying the same thing. Many of us try to create restoration without going through reconciliation. And that's impossible. You cannot restore a relationship until you are both saying the same thing. Mm, I just got me some chills because somebody needs to hear this. You can't sweep stuff under the rug and act like it doesn't exist. And I dare say it's really difficult to agree to disagree and move forward in relationship on very many things. There are going to be some things in your marriage, some things in your relationships where you come to this place of, hey, the only thing that we can say that is the same is, we agree to disagree, but we're going to respect each other's opinion in that. But you can't live your life agreeing to disagree. You have to reconcile what's being said. So, back to my three-day rule. 
that was that was a good sidebar there. But let me get back to business. I go to them and I say, "Hey, you've really offended me, Scott. I don't just randomly picking you." <laughs> you've got three days, bro. You go to that person and say, Scott, you know, when you did this, when you said this, when you, whatever, I was really offended and maybe you didn't mean it that way. And Scott, most likely, he'll either say, no, that's exactly how I meant it, which is probably the case with Scott, or or Scott will say, oh, no, you totally misunderstood me. I, what I meant was this. And then when I hear his perspective, suddenly all the pieces fall in place and it makes sense, right? Because I... I didn't see the lens he was looking through. And so then now we're saying the same thing. Oh, okay, so Scott said this, but what he meant with was this. We're now saying there's reconciliation and restoration. Here's the other side of that. If, if you come to me or I come to you, someone comes to you and they're complaining and they're gossip, gossiping about someone, you look at them. This is what we've t- kind of taught our staff. We talk about often you look at them and say, wow, and what did they say when you told them that? Typically, I've never heard a scenario where any, the conversation continues past that. I haven't, and I've heard of many that, that our team has used, used that. And we're doing it in love. It's not a, hey, we're putting you in your place. It's a, hey, 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 we all love Jesus. We're going to live biblically, biblically, right? Whatever the other word is, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to do this thing right. So when they don't answer or the, continu- the conversation continues, then you say, okay, listen, it sounds to me like you're offended. You've got three days. You've got three days to go to that person. And if you don't go to them within three days, I'm going to have to go to the person and I'm going to share with them what you've told me. I'm telling you, when you do that, suddenly people stop coming to you with gossip. It is so freeing. It really is freeing. And you're, you're giving them such a gift. Like, we often think when we shut down gossip, you know, your heart starts racing a little bit and, and your palms start sweating and you, the, the breathing gets shallow because you feel like it's confrontation. It's not confrontation. You're giving them a gift of unity. You're helping bring them back into alignment for God's plan and God's purposes, not only for themselves, but for the local church. We have to be better, church, about not tolerating unwholesome talk among us. That's what the, the first century church looked like. The third part of that, where it talked about financially and benefaction and the other word that's hard to say. It's, the third point is give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Isn't it interesting that Koinonia Fellowship, the three prongs to that includes actually doing something, but also investing in financially. We need to dispel the myth that one or the other relieves us of the obligation of the other. Just because you give a lot of time to building the kingdom doesn't mean that you're still not called to obey in your stewardship. And just because you give a lot of money to the church doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility to roll up your sleeves and come alongside people who love the Lord and and build something. Koinonia fellowship. If we want to be like the local church in Acts chapter 2, we have to be devoted to fellowship. That's my first point today.
My second point today, I'm going to move a bit more quickly. Okay, um, I just need to, to say this out loud so my brain will simmer down. I'm working with two sets of notes. One set has page numbers, the other doesn't. And now I'm thoroughly confused at where I'm going. So, I don't really know what I'm doing. Well, I know the point. It's just the notes are all different. I am devoted to community. Devoted to community. This comes from verse 46 through 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day they broke bread. They met in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. Now listen, the breaking bread in their homes in this section is different than in verse 42 where it says they broke bread. I mean, the author is not stuttering here. The breaking bread in verse 42 is talking about communion and fellowship and moving the mission of the church forward. In this verse, breaking bread is like in our home having a meal. Before we had meals, they would always break bread and say the prayers and bless the food. So that breaking bread is community. It's family. It's like us hanging out. We're not moving the mission of the church forward. We're not talking strategy. We're not talking number. We're not doing any of that. We're just, we're family. It's like hanging out, being in the same room. It's okay if we don't even make small talk and we're just watching TV, just hanging out with family. We have to get better at building community. If we really are going to say that you and I are family forever, then we have to spend more time together. And that doesn't just mean on mission, not just at the lake getting baptized, not taking stuff to the homeless downtown Austin, not, not building things in Haiti, like hanging out. Like when you, when you go to the grocery store, call up one of your friends in the church, say, hey, I'm about to go spend a couple hours at the store going shopping. You want to go? Come along. Just do life together. That's what the church looked like in Acts chapter 2. Community. There was the study done decades ago, before the 1970s. And they were trying to figure out where addiction came from and how to resolve addiction. And they put a rat in a cage and they had a water bottle and they laced the water with heroin. And the rat went to the water bottle, liked what it was drinking, kept going back to the water bottle over and over and over and over. It was obsessed. I mean, it wouldn't sleep, nothing. It ended up overdosing on the heroin time after time after time after time. Then this genius Canadian comes along, and his name is Bruce Alexander. He came along in 1970, and he's looking at this. Canadians are pretty good, right? They give us more than just hockey. And Bruce Alexander comes along, and he says, wait, something's wrong with this experiment. And they say, well, what's wrong with it? And he goes, you're giving, you're giving the rat no option but water that is contaminated. So in 1970, Bruce Alexander built this thing, did a series of experiments called Rat Park. It was 200 times the size of a typical enclosure for this experiment. And in this Rat Park, they had wheels that they could spin on. They had, they had, um, 
things that they could jump and get exercises. And then not only all the fun stuff and the different kinds of food, and they had the contaminated water and they had pure water. They also threw in another 18 to 20 rats along the way. So, you know, these rats got to hang out, became friends. The studies were showing that they were mating a lot more, that they were playing a lot more. There was a lot going on in Rat Park. And they found out that the rats went less and less and less to the water laced with heroin. The ones that did go to the water laced with heroin, none of them actually overdosed and died. But most of them, there was a significant decline in them going to it. Instead, they found that sobriety is not the solution to addiction. Connection is. Connection to God and connection to each other. You think it's not important for you to show up to church? You think it's not important for you to make your vacation plans? I know we love the lake, and I, I know that we love to sleep in, and I know that we love family days, and like, I, I get it, and I'm not suggesting that you not experience those things, but what, I, what I'm saying to you is it is important for you to be found faithful in attending a local church. And if you can't make it to this one on time and regularly, find one that you can. Because your presence creates, creates a spirit of connection that may just be the thing that saves one person and allows them to live one more day in Rat Park. That's what Quinonia looks like. We want to be the church of old. We got to show up. We have to be here and build community with each other. I'm going to move quickly on my final four points. Is that all right? Is that all right? Awesome. We see in 43 and 47 that they were seeing miracles. They were praising God. So if we want, if we want the, the experience of the first century church, we have to be devoted to worship. Everybody say worship. Now, worship is not just about showing up here and the music and the lights and the guitars and all of that. Worship is a lifestyle of worship, meaning even whenever you are, you know, downtown on a Saturday night at University of Texas on graduation night when there are hundreds of people, so many people, I don't even think there was oxygen left outside. Congratulations to all the graduates. So, by the way, high school, college. Awesome. So, so proud of you. I was telling my son-in-law. I know people say son-in-love. I'm just not about that. So, son-in-law. Um, Lawrence, I'll just call him my son. He graduated and told him driving home last night. I was like, man, do you know how huge that is? Anyway, I'm over time. Can't go into that. Um, gig him. And um, gig him. And uh, worship. You know why worship is important? Wor- worship is about the only thing that's going to carry from here to there. When we get to heaven, there's going to be no missions. You thought about that? We get to heaven, there's going to be no evangelism. 
there is going to be no outreach event in heaven. The only thing that you and I get to practice from here to there is worship. Lifting up the one who laid his life down for you and I. Worship is critical. So write that down. Let the Lord chew on that with you. I'll tell you this too. Corporate worship is valuable. Theodore Roosevelt said this. I wrote it down. You may worship God anywhere at any time, but the chances are that you will not do so unless you have first learned to worship him somewhere in some particular place at some particular time. So until you actually learn to set yourself on a schedule to worship corporately with other believers, don't kid yourself and think that you're actually going to worship him authentically alone. That was good. Anyway, Next point, dedicated to sacrifice. If we want to be like the first church, we must be devoted to sacrifice. Devoted. What is devoted? Loyal. We must be loyal to sacrifice. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I'll give you context in 30 seconds or less. During this time, Acts chapter 2, they're coming off of a Jewish public feast. In the city, during the public feast, they did not hire out um, hotels, motels, any of that, restaurants, nothing. There were no hire. They didn't rent it out. There was no fee, no charge. So you were coming in for a public feast and celebration. You could stay in any hotel that had space, no charge. Eat at any restaurant, no charge, because they were all about the public celebration, and it was free. But the moment the feast was over, then you had to start paying. The disciples had such an encounter in the upper room, and it has now run over the public feast. Now they had to start paying money, so they all had to pool their money and give sacrificially because they didn't walk, want to walk away from what the Lord was doing in their midst. If you and I want to be the local church that was in Acts chapter 2, you and I have to get to a place where we are giving sacrificially. Connection always has a cost of self-sacrifice. And my final point today. If we want to be like the first century church, we must be dedicated to evangelism. Evangelism. That's a churchy word, I know. And some of us think, oh, that's not my gifting. That's not my calling. Evangelism just means share your story. Share what the Lord has done for you, in you, and through you. In verse 47, it says, They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Some of us right now are saying, Pastor, I, I don't know that I have a story to share. I, I don't know that I, I, I have the confidence to walk out there and you know, proclaim Jesus outside of these doors. Can I just tell you, you're better than you think you are. And God has done more in you than you think he has. And he will take you further than you think he will. We need to, we need to stop conditioning our minds and believing the lies that we're not going to amount to anything. I was telling my staff this week that in our office, I want to, I'm not, I am an artist, but not in this way. I want to, in our office, put this big sign that says, everyone's a legend. Because you are, and I believe it. 
number one, I think that stops gossip, right? When people come into the office, did you know that so-and-so did this? I'm going to have my staff just not even say anything. They're not going to say that, oh, you've got three days. All they're going to do is point to the wall, right? Somebody comes in, don't you worry, Scott. Somebody comes in and they say, do you know what Scott did? And we're like, what now? No, we're like, um, what do we say? We say, everyone's a legend. Scott the legend? Because we need to start believing that everyone's a legend around here. There's no big you and little me. Everyone is a legend. I don't care if you've been saved 100 years or 100 seconds. You, my friend, are a legend. You, my friend, make hell scared. You, my friend, have a call and a purpose and a destiny on your life. You're not worthless. You don't not have a voice. You're a legend. You need to use the voice that God has given you. You need to use the testimony and the story that God has walked you through. You're not here by accident. You're a legend. Crystal, you're you're a legend, girl. Leander, you are really a legend. Leander's back from California from school. You are a legend, my friend. Good to see you home. I'm excited where God is taking us. I'm excited to be committed to you and you committed to me and, and us understand what it really means to be the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the people in this room, for my family. God, I look across the room and I know so many of their stories. I know what they're currently going through. I know what they're facing in the weeks and months to come. I, I know what they've been through in their past. God, you've been faithful. God, you've been good. And I thank you for the honor and the privilege to love the local church. I know sometimes she feels messy. And I know sometimes we... We feel like it's a lot of work, but God, this is a beautiful thing that you have allowed us to partner with you in this thing we call church. So God, I ask that over the next few days, and more specifically, tonight at 4.30 at Lake Pflugerville, God, I ask you would help us, you would empower us to be the church, to show up prepared to love on people, not just celebrate, and that's a reason to celebrate, not just celebrate, the people among us that are getting baptized and making that confession and decision for themselves, but God, to, to really interact with the people, the people that are far from you, the people that you died for. God, let us be the church in all of her glory and grace. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, amen. God bless you, Karen. I love you so much.